Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. I'm wondering if any of you have ever experienced culture shock. Anyone? Anyone at home maybe experienced culture shock? Some of you have. Culture's an interesting thing, hey? There's so many things that are unique to your own culture, and I think we just assume that everyone does it the way that we do it, until you step out of that bubble and realize, in fact, that they don't. Um, I, um, I remember going to a sleepover when I was probably eight or nine, and um, and we woke up the next morning, and we sat down for breakfast, and we were having French toast. And they only had tomato sauce on the table. I was like, where is the syrup? Are there any other tomato sauce on French toast people here? I didn't believe you existed until, because our family always had syrup on French toast. I just assumed that everyone did until I stepped out of my own little family culture bubble um, I had a friend who, was, who told me a story of when she was mortified. She went to her boyfriend's house for supper with the family, and um, it's nerve-wracking enough as it was. And uh, the food came, and the, the family kind of put the, food, the plates of food in front of her, and, um, and she picked up her knife and fork and started to eat. And then was mortified when everyone looked at her because they were a grace-saying family, and she had put something in her mouth and she didn't know what to do. That was a cultural thing. Her family didn't ever say grace. And so it was, she just assumed this is how everyone does it. Perhaps you've had a time where you experienced something that was, that was quite unique to your own church culture. Uh, maybe you've been in a church service before where you clapped after a song and everyone else didn't. And you thought, what is going on here? I thought everyone just clapped after a song, hey? There's so many things that are unique to our individual cultures and then to our actual cultures, of course, that we just think everyone else does it the same. Coming down to things like how you greet people, what you wear, when to pause, what's offensive. Even things like eating or dancing or mourning. You know, every culture has their own way of doing things, and you think that everyone does it that way until you realize that they don't. When you step out of your cultural bubble, you can realize and learn some incredible things. Really, really exciting. I have read that culture shock is actually a part of most transitions that you'll make in life. Um, most obviously, if you relocate to a country that has a very different culture to your country of origin, you will go on a bit of a cultural journey that will definitely have an uncomfortable season to it. So if you look at the graph that I'm putting on the screen, don't worry about the small writing, but it looks at five different phases so of any cultural transition. The first phase is known as the honeymoon phase, when everything is amazing. Everything about this new place and this new experience is amazing and exciting and you're reaching dreams and it's all novel and awesome. And the second phase, number two, is called the rejection phase, where you realize it's actually not all awesome, and you would rather have it the way that you used to have it. It's all a bit overwhelming, and you might feel misunderstood because reality hits, and you're not familiar with what's going on around you. Then there's the regression phase. So in order to deal with the stress of this kind of misunderstand, misunderstood culture, you start to surround yourselves with with similarity, what you're used to. People from your own culture, original culture, you know, maybe even the same foods. But then there's the recovery phase where you overcome this, 
where there's an acceptance of this new culture and you are accepted by the new culture and you embrace it and adopt it as your own. Sometimes even to the point of then experiencing reverse culture shock when you go back into your original culture where that now is weird for you. You know, I spoke to someone this last week who's living with a whole bunch of people from, a different, from different cultures in this living environment, and they were saying, I never knew that I would experience culture shock in my own country. And yet, even stepping out of our own family culture system or any different culture system, you can experience culture shock. Culture shock hits at around two, numbers two and three over there. That's culture shock. I read also this week that on relocation to a country with a different culture, about 60% of people who do that are reported as rejecting the new culture that they find themselves in. They prefer to surround themselves with people from their own culture. You know, they, they seek out people. You find your own clubs, join specific places. 60%, that's a huge amount, eh? 10% are said to completely embrace this new culture and completely immerse themselves in it, adopt it as their own, and the remaining 30% of people kind of find some ground in between where they adopt certain things and reject certain things. Very interesting. I found those numbers very interesting. Anyway, today we are wrapping up a series that we've been doing for the last bunch of weeks called Citizens. We've been on quite a journey looking at what we've called our capital C citizenship. So if you haven't been around, we've been looking at how to be heavenly citizens while living here on earth. And we've called our heavenly citizenship the citizenship that we, we adopt as our primary citizenship, our capital C citizenship. And I hope and pray that you have been challenged on this journey, um, that you are starting to navigate some, some changes in how you think or how you live as a capital C citizen, I think my prayer is that people around us will start to see visible shifts in how we live because we are living as heavenly citizens here on earth. You know, we've also undergone a, a, a cultural transition. If you have become a Christian, we've transitioned to becoming citizens of heaven. There's no geographical transition or any change of location. But there's been this incredible internal transition, and we find ourselves with this dual citizenship. We may very well experience a little bit of culture shock, if we're honest, in that transition, and I'm not sure where you are. Perhaps you're in a place where there's been a bit of regression. You know, you've, you've transitioned into this heavenly citizenship, and you thought this is amazing, and now you're like, I'm not so sure. I don't even know what's going on around me. Perhaps you're trying to surround yourself with what you, you, you found to be normal. Um, perhaps you have completely integrated and embraced this capital C citizenship and the culture that comes with the kingdom of heaven. wonder where you are on this journey. Will we make it to the point of being a complete adopter of this culture, that we embrace it, that we become fully immersed, that is how we live, that is who we are? Or will we be rejectors of that culture? Kind of like, I'm going to stick to what I know here. Or will we find some place in between? We adopt some things and reject others. I wonder what it will be like for you. We know we've unpacked over the last few weeks that God's desire for us is to live as citizens of heaven all the time, in every situation, everywhere we are. To be in the world, but not of the world. 
That is his desire for us. And to what, today I want to take us back to Jesus as our example of this. We read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came into the world, but he was not of it. He was not of this world. In fact, everything that he did seemed to be a little bit upside down to the way of this world. Hey? As you get to know and understand the kingdom of heaven a little bit more, you realize it was completely right side up in the kingdom of heaven. But he demonstrated to us how to live as capital C citizens. He taught a different way. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he taught a different way, a different way of thinking, a different way of viewing the world, a different way of being, a different way of living, different standards. He taught a different way. He lived a different way. If you look at just who Jesus engaged with, it was different to what was around him. You look at the miracles that he performed for rich and poor alike. You look at his focus on the heart and not the exterior, his standard of living, the choices that he made, the disciples he chose, the rules he followed. He lived a different way. He came into this world, but he was not of this world, though he lived here. He came representing another world, another kingdom, and he invited people to join him. And he invites us to join him. Today is Palm Sunday, as we've said already. What a beautiful day. And so we're going to dive into looking at this day a little bit when we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem. We're going to read together from Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This day, Palm Sunday, is such a powerful picture and also such a great example of two different kingdoms with two completely different ways of doing things, the expected kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. See, on this day, we see two different understandings of what was going on, two different expectations, different hopes, and ultimately different outcomes. 
This was clearly someone important in this procession coming into the city. The Roman people viewing this procession would have had a certain understanding when they saw what was going on. See, in Roman culture, when a, a king entered the city, it would be on a horse. When a, a hero came back from war, kind of if you were a general and you were victorious at, at battle, you would come back in a sign of peace riding on a donkey. And that's how you would enter the city. And so the Romans would have recognized that and seen what was going on and kind of said, okay, this guy's trying to tell us something here. The Jewish people viewing the scene would have remembered something else. See, there's a prophecy in Zechariah, which we've also just read in Matthew chapter 21. And it's a prophecy about the Messiah. Zechariah 9 verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They would have remembered this prophecy. And so this entrance on the donkey would have been a sign of what they had been waiting for their entire lives, the arrival of the Messiah. Imagine what they must have been thinking. If you've heard about this for your whole life, is, is this the Messiah? And that's why Jesus did it. Up until this point, you might remember in some of, some of the stories we read about Jesus in Scripture, often he would heal someone and he would say, don't tell anyone about this because my time has not yet come. But this was the time. The time had come. And that is why Jesus to fulfill prophecy, entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He was saying to anyone who would hear him, I am the Messiah. This entry into the city was a sign. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus, the Messiah. And we see the recognition of the people in the streets. We see them throwing down their cloaks and waving branches. We, see, we hear them singing Hosanna, which means save us. They recognize that this could be the Messiah. We know the story. We know that on Palm Sunday, people were praising him and shouting Hosanna. But a few days later, they were mocking him and shouting crucify him. So what happened in those few days? Jesus was the Messiah. We know that, the promised one, the rescuer. So what happened in those few days? Well, a lot of things happened in those few days, part of which was the salvation of humankind, and that's what we're gonna be cele celebrating this, this coming week. But I wanna focus on the people. What happened with the people to make that shift? What people thought the Messiah was going to be, or how he was going to act, was different to what they saw in Jesus. They were crying for the Messiah to save them, but to save them from what and how? As they waved their palm branches, the Messiah had come, but not as they expected. Remember, nothing about the kingdom of God was what was expected. 
Jesus had been trying to prepare those who would listen to him. But it was all just possibly too foreign for them to grasp. Even Jesus' disciples, who had been walking with him for three years, even for them, it was just so foreign often what Jesus seemed to do. They thought he was going to do this, and he did that. They thought he was going to say this, and he did that. It was just so, so different, so foreign. Perhaps it felt a little bit like culture shock. The way that Jesus lives is just so different. And so the Messiah and people's expectations, and Jesus the Messiah, were completely different. In the kingdom of God, the Messiah did not arrive with pomp and pride. He comes lowly, riding on a donkey. In fact, riding on the foal of a donkey, the epitome of a humble king. In the kingdom of God, the Messiah does not come with military power or vengeance or rage. He comes with love and gentleness and kindness. His plan wasn't to come in and to conquer with force. It was to conquer with love. His plan was not to sacrifice others. It was to sacrifice himself. And so the Messiah had come to bring about the salvation of the Jews. But their perspective, their desire even, was that Jesus was going to save them from their enemies, the Romans. That he was going to crush and overthrow. They wanted him to save them from their temporary circumstance that was right in front of them. Real and right in front of them. But Jesus, the Messiah, came to bring a permanent solution. He didn't come to crush the Romans. He had a different enemy to crush. He came to save them from sin forever. But they didn't want what he came to do. And when they realized that what they wanted, what they had expected, was not on offer, I think it must have just been hard to believe that this really was the Messiah. When you've been expecting something to look a certain way and to present itself in a certain way for the entirety of your life, when it looks so different, perhaps that belief was just a leap too far for most. They wanted a deliverer and a Messiah that would conform to their plans and their ideals and their hopes. They did not want to conform to his. And so when Jesus was being who they wanted him to be, they gave him palms. But when Jesus was being who they needed him to be, they gave him thorns. See, they wanted a king, but they needed a savior. And so they made Jesus their king for a day, but sadly, not their savior. And perhaps it was just too hard to, to lay down their expectations. Perhaps the culture of this kingdom was just too much, just too upside down, it was too different. You know, they've seen this man, this Jesus of, of Nazareth, 
and maybe this honeymoon phase of an exciting teacher and healer and, and miracle worker, and could he, could he be? Could he be the Messiah? Perhaps disillusionment hit him, confusion, disappointment, because it didn't look like they had expected. You know, they wanted to push him up and promote him, but the Lord of glory just kept making himself lower. He didn't arrive on a horse or even a regular donkey on the foal of a donkey. And then he continued and made himself a servant by washing his disciples' feet and then made himself obedient to death. And not just any death, but death on a cross. They missed that before the Messiah would reign, he would suffer. And before the throne would come across. And how sad that many people, because it was not what they had expected, they missed it. They'd been waiting for the Savior their whole lives. And he arrived. And they missed him because they wanted a Messiah on their terms. Could that be true of us as well? As we look at the story and we remember, could that be true of us as well that maybe we want a savior, but not a ruler? Or maybe we want to be a child of the king, but we, we don't want to be an obedient follower. And we want to be a citizen of this kingdom, but on our terms, or when it suits us. That the expectations that we have Can we reach them? Can we change them? I guess the question that Palm Sunday puts to us today is that same question that I read earlier in Matthew 21 verse 10. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And that was our prayer as the leadership of the church. As we looked at the citizen series and we unpacked the kingdom of God more and we looked at the king of this kingdom, that our hearts would be stirred just as the city was, and the city asked, who is this? Who is this? Who is Jesus in your life? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus king for a day? Or is he the Lord of our lives? every day? Is he king for a day, maybe one day a week? Or is he the Lord of your life every day in the expected and the unexpected, when it's easy and when it's hard, on Palm Sunday and on Easter Friday? Is he the king of our lives? Will we live as a citizen of his kingdom? As we wrap up this entire series today on Palm Sunday, I want to bring it right back home. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at very, very big topics. 
as we've looked at being a citizen, a capital C citizen. We've looked at being a heavenly citizen in, in an unholy world or in a polarized world, in a diverse world, in a consumeristic world, in a secular world, in an unjust world. These are big topics. And I know that I have been challenged and have made some changes along the way. I pray you have as well. But let's bring it home. What does it mean to be a heavenly citizen in a Westville world? Or if you don't live in Westville, whatever your little corner of the earth is, what does it mean to be a transforming capital C citizen right at home? What does it mean to be in this world but not of it? in the big questions and the small ones, in the huge complex situations and the regular and mundane. Well, let me give you four very practical things that we believe that we do as capital C citizens, essentially as disciples of Jesus. We reach, we grow, we care, and we serve. We reach, we grow, we care, and we serve. What I mean by this, we reach. It means that we are proud to be ambassadors carrying the best news in the world and we will live it and we will speak it, this epic message of hope wherever we go. That's what it means to reach. To grow, it means that we will seek to encounter Christ and grow to love him more and learn more from him every single day because we know that he has always got more to teach us regardless of our age. To care, it's putting love into action. It's including, it's supporting, it's caring for and being real with each other and living in genuine community, family as God intended. We care, we serve. Well, it's acknowledging that deep faith is best nurtured not when sitting back and spectating, but by generously participating and giving of yourself in whatever way you can, being willing to get our hands dirty for those who need us and for the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be a capital C citizen right here in Westville? To reach, to grow, to care, to serve. Could it be that simple? Maybe we should try it. Every day, can I reach, can I grow, can I care, and can I serve, and how can I do it right now? going to end our service today with one of my favorite older songs. I've got a lot of favorite songs I have to specify. Favorite older songs and fitting for today for Palm Sunday. It's called Hosanna. And as we prepare just to, just to finish off today, I want to invite you to reflect a little bit. Because today we look back and we remember Palm Sunday. We remember the day, the entrance of the Messiah into Jerusalem on a donkey. We remember that, that entrance on a donkey. But we know that he will come again. And when he comes back, it will not be on a donkey. It will be in spectacular glory. And until that day, May we live as capital C citizens every day. May we shift the culture of this world as we live his way. And may we bring heaven to earth 
May we live with Jesus as our King daily. May we live a life of waving palm branches. May we live a life that worships Him daily. May we lay down our cloaks. May we lay down our lives for Him daily. May we emulate the way that He lived, becoming less, sacrificing for others daily. Let's pray. Lord, may you not just be king for a day. May you be the Lord of our lives every day. Guide us, Lord. Mold us. Shape and shift us. Help us to look like you. Help us to live like you. Help us to fully adopt the culture of your kingdom and to live life your way, all for your glory. May everything I am be for your kingdom's cause. Make us capital C citizens here on earth in the name of Jesus. Amen.